trauma. When you love an addict or an alcoholic, you can experience many, many circumstances which really can be quite traumatic, whether it's a big trauma or a series of small traumas which can take place over years. It has an impact on us mentally, emotionally, and physically. Trauma can get stuck in your body. And to really recover, we need to unwind and release all of that trauma. So how do we do this? Christine is going to tell us how in this week's episode of Smiling Again. If you've ever loved an alcoholic or an addict, you will have reached an exhausted, painful point where you felt broken and struggled to keep it all together. That was me a few months before I lost my husband to alcoholism. I am Kim Moore, your host of Smiling Again. And in each episode, together, we'll take small steps, just one thing at a time, and learn to take care of you. Together, we'll let go, find forgiveness, break free of guilt, and live with self-compassion so that you can feel good on the inside and start smiling again. This podcast is made possible by the Blossom Community, which is a membership where you can connect with others who are on a guided healing journey following a pathway to peace. Healing really is easier together. Join us. Welcome to another episode of Smiling Again. This is a super, super special episode. I have with me uh, Christine Yankee. And if there is one word that I would use to describe Christine, there's actually so many I could use (laughs) but the one that's at the top of the list is resilient so Christine is here to share her story with us and um, through this story I think it's going to convey so much hope for so many people so to help you understand who Christine is I'm going to read the back of her book she is also an author uh, she has written the book called Blinded by an Angel which is her story So Christine has been a keynote speaker at in mental health conferences hospitals addiction facilities yoga studios and universities where she's openly shared her story of resilience Her story reached thousands of people in 2018 when she was featured in Canadian Living magazine. She's also been a mentor to many in the field of addiction and recovery. She specializes in trauma-informed yoga and is also the co-author of clinical research gathered on residential treatment programs. She's a mental health advocate and will be this year's community champion spokesperson for the Run of Women event, which takes place in 18 cities across Canada. I had to read that, Christine, because there's too (laughs) much goodness in there, and I didn't want to miss anything. So welcome, and thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, I'm super excited because I know this, this conversation is just going to help so many. Absolutely. Your story. Your story is unlike any story that I have heard before, and we all have a story, but yours is remarkable. It's hard to believe when I look back at that story, because I don't recognize that girl anymore. 
because she has come so far and grown so much and evolved so much that it's just hard to go back there. Mm, it really is. You know, I, you know, knowing who you are now, and I have to say, when I started reading your book, I didn't recognize the Christine in the beginning of the book. So it's interesting how you phrase that and how you talk about it, because it's, 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 I've seen a different side of you and now I can see how far you've come, which is why I think this story is going to help so, so many Christine. So thank you so much for being open and willing to share it. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So I think the key key thing here is that when when you're listening to the story, you really get a sense of how you moved through trauma. Everything that happened to you, you continue to move through it. And I think that's I hope that's what people hear and that they take away from this. Um, And, you know, finding a renewed sense of purpose and meaning in life because of the traumatic events that happen. Exactly. And that's kind of like where people can't even foresee when they're going through something, they can't imagine that that's going to be something that good that comes out of it. Right. We don't see that positive end where we're like, we're going to be on the other side of that. So um, it's great that when you get that feeling of just giving back to people and just like feeling so fulfilled to be able to share and help and inspire other people. For me specifically, a lot of women um, have resonated with my story just because I, you know, I was a single mom. I struggled. I had a job. I was in uh, an addiction facility myself doing treatments. Um, you know, just the struggles, the big struggles that women are just like, wow, if she can do it, I can do it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so let's start by giving people an understanding of, you know, what has happened in your life. And if we go back to that moment when the police raided your home, take us back there and help everyone understand what you were feeling and how your life changed mm-hmm. in an instant. Well, it's funny because it's going to be the anniversary in a couple of days. So it's 21 oh, wow. years ago. Yeah, 21 years ago it happened. And yes, uh, my house was raided by the police. I did not expect it. It was five o'clock in the morning and I was, we had just moved to a brand new neighborhood and my husband was a biker and I have, I was married, three beautiful boys. My youngest was four and we, um, you know, we were just settling into this new place and one morning it's kind of like, I don't know, you probably have been there, Kim, where you're laying there and there's this eeriness and quietness at the same time. And it was like, I could kind of, I felt like there was people outside my window and it took about five minutes or so. And then I started to hear these mumbling of people, like from a, from a distance that sounded like someone was robbing my house. And so I kind of knocked on my husband and said, Oh my God, I think we're being robbed. And he sat up and he kind of like, just put his hand on me and said, it's a raid. I said, what? He says, it's a police raid. He says, I said, I'm going to go get the kids. Like my middle or my youngest one was right in the middle of us. And my two older ones were in the room next, you know, and the immediate mother comes out and he said, don't move. If you move and run, they'll shoot you. And knowing trauma now, I realized going back that far, you know, the trauma was stuck in my body from 21 years ago, right? That I didn't, I was not able to react 
um, and I froze. And so that happened and um, sort of to give you an idea of timeframes, he was arrested that day. I had to really take care of the aftermath of this raid. There was 150 bikers in Canada, all arrested at the same time. So all these families had their doors, you know, knocked down at the same time. He was arrested and um, thank goodness I had my parents around. They were my godsend, retired and there. And the media frenzy outside in the neighborhood was just very opinionated and judgy. And I had to really deal with that a lot, a lot right after the raid. And um, within about, uh, well, there's, there was a lot that happened probably in the first six months, but mostly he did get out on bail, but then got put back in. And so while he was um, home for a few months, we kind of realistically said, like, I've been a stay home mom for 10 years. If I get stuck on my own, what am I going to do? How am I going to survive with these kids? Right. It's like, I didn't know anything other than teaching fitness for, you know, 15 years before that. So we went and we actually went and rented a 24 foot moving truck and I drove it for four days and I got my DZ license and my brother who had worked for the city of Hamilton, which is like a, you know, there's different kinds of roads and operations jobs. He said, if you get your DZ, I might be able to get you in kind of like temporary down the line in the garbage department, in the waste department where you could drive a garbage truck and throw garbage. And I was like, yay, that sounds so fun, but I'll get the DZ license. And so I did, and I didn't do anything with it. My husband went back to jail because they took him back there. And, you know, within that three years, there was a three-year period before he even went to um, trial. In that three-year period, I got a job. I had multiple jobs. I got a full-time job, a great job with the city. Um, however, my, you know, my disruption in the community made me feel like I couldn't even go anywhere. Like I was really trying to let people in to see who I was because nobody really knew me. And my boys were within the hockey um, community. And so I locked arms with, you know, them as fast as I could. And I met a really great mom who I ended up being really good friends with, except she introduced me or her, not just specifically her, but her group introduced me to cocaine. Mm -hmm. And so I started to use the stress that I was going through trying to survive by going out on the weekends and happily drinking and doing occasionally on the weekends cocaine. So that increased a little bit over the three years, but three years later, um, my husband went to trial and my parents came down to babysit my kids. And on the way home that day after trial ended and closed, um, I called my mom and just told her that I was on my way home. And she was like, okay, no problem. I'm going to go to bed. I'll see you when you get home. When I got home, my dad went to bed. It was like one o'clock in the morning. And he said, something's wrong with your mother. And I was like, I thought maybe he had been drinking because my parents were both alcoholic pretty much uh, either weekend or not. And um, I, he came running out minutes later and said, something's wrong with your mom. You need to call an ambulance. And I was like, oh my gosh. So within that night, within hours, I lost my mom. She died in her sleep. Um, she was 62 years old. My best friend, I was broken, immediately broken with that happening. And two weeks later, I had to go back to uh, show up in court 
to see if my husband was going to be found guilty or not. And he got found guilty. And so my life unraveled really, really fast. You know, the addiction just, just hit really big. Then Um, I was trying to survive. I was keeping the kids out of my, my pain. They did not know that I was just so in so much pain. I would drink and do, you know, cocaine at nighttime when they were sleeping and I would just pretend everything was okay. Cause that's, you know, moms do that. It's like, everything's okay. I know we lost your grandma and I know your dad's in jail, but we're going to be okay, which is ridiculous looking back now. Right. But I didn't want to deal with it. And so within about three or four months after that, um, I had to actually get a lawyer to fight to keep my house because they were coming after my home and that's all that I had left. And, um, my husband ended up going um, back into court where he was sentenced to 20 years in jail. And so that was really my realization because I had a lot of hope. I had a lot of hope before then. I was holding on with strings thinking he's coming home. I just need to figure this out until he gets home. And that's my survival was just temporary. And then it became full blown. And um, what else became full blown was the fact that I jumped more into the addiction mm-hmm. and within about three or four months, thank goodness, I figured out that I needed to get help. And I went and actually went into detox and went into a women's program, a day program and did a five week treatment. And that will be 18 years ago, this December that I went into that program. So that changed my life, just, just getting sober. And the next four or five years, I started to really kind of find a little bit more independence. I ended up divorcing my husband. I met a really great guy who I'm still with right now. He, you know, um, has been taking care of us all. But um, six years after my mom died, my dad had never been the same. He was broken in so many ways. Um, he ended up um, dying by suicide. He, um, he took his life six years later. So that was probably, I think that was kind of almost the breaking point for me where I started to have to have these feelings show up that I couldn't keep compressing, like keeping them down or suppressing. And so um, a couple years after he died, I'd already done a yoga teacher training, which started to kind of unravel me a little bit. Like I could tell my emotions. I was, you know, through that whole thing, I was, I was seeing tears where I hadn't seen tears in years. It had been like eight, 10 years of just shoving it down. And so I ended up doing a yoga teacher training that started to kind of um, get me to, I guess, um, loosen up a bit. I'm not even sure what it did, but it started to show up in triggers. It started to show up where I was becoming skittish and I was um, paranoid and all these things, which if you look under PTSD, that's what what those symptoms are. And I had no idea. So fortunately I was diagnosed with PTSD uh, with generalized anxiety disorder and I got help and I got CBT for two years. I found this amazing yoga training um, to help me because my physical body now was starting to, it was starting to show up in my pain, in my shoulders, in my hips, my low back. And so what I discovered was that you can do as much talking as you want in therapy, but you cannot take that stored trauma out of your body unless you somatically take it out. Mm -hmm. And I found a teacher training that did just that. It geared it towards people who suffer from that. And I became the first person in Canada to get that training. And I've been carrying it since 2013 around communities, 
Um, I became a yoga trainer for this company. I have used it in an addiction facility for six or seven years. I went back to where I did rehab, which I had not been back to. And I was, I've been part of their treatment program, helping the women there by giving them these classes and helping them as well as it helped me. And we did research and the research was published last year. So it's been now I've been very vocal in the last eight years, nine years telling my story because I was seeing how women reacted. I would talk in the addiction facility and I would be, wow, look at their expressions. There was hope. I could see hope in their eyes. They were crying because they saw themselves in me. And that was, that was huge for me. So this honestly never, I never would have looked 20 years and say, well, I am really going to have myself together. You know, I'm going to actually have boys that showed up years later as adults, normal without any problems. Right. (laughs) And so I know you just go, wow, people are like, how are your kids? Okay. I'm like, they are like, I have three beautiful boys. (laughs) Somehow, I don't know how they showed up without any problems, but so far so good. So that's a big, that's, that's as short as I could do it, Kim. I mean, there's so much there, but um, I was trying to give the, get the bigger picture, but there's a lot of in-betweens that people just need to hear kind of to get the story. Yes, I, I appreciate that. I mean, you went from a traumatic event of, you know, a raid in your home. Not many yes. people experience that. Yes. And that, that is, that is huge. And in a very short period of time, you lost your mom, who you were so close to, Um and you lost your husband who was put in jail. Yes, exactly. And you found yourself living a completely different life and, um, and turning to substances. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you put yourself in rehab and you, you turn things around and you make that sound so simple. And I know it's not simple. Uh, mm-hmm. I know in your book, one of the things that you said was um, going to rehab wasn't the hard part. It's staying sober every day. Yes. So, you know, it's how, how would you how would you describe um, how your your healthy living? Because when we can get into the things that you do, you know, you've talked about your yoga. Tell us how you start your day, and and because at the the start of your day is when you set yourself up for mm-hmm. the frame of mind that you're in, and how how does that impact your staying healthy every day, staying sober every day? You know, uh, every day is still a day for me where I, I thank myself, right, that I stay mm-hmm. sober. But I'm very, I don't want to, I can say I'm selfish, but I am selfish in the fact that I do me first. So I will get up, I get up at 536 in the morning. And the first thing that I do is I either go to the gym if I want, go to a class, I teach a yoga class, or I do yoga practice in my home, I work out, I go for a walk in the trails. Everything has to be about my mental health right from the moment I open my eyes. And then I can pursue the rest of the day. And if that's selfish, well, I'm okay with the selfish because I finally had to do that. And I don't have any little people anymore to take care of. So finally, that that time comes, right, when I can take care of myself. And I surround myself with really good people, right? The positive people. I connect with positive people like yourself. We get to connect online. And my day just rolls out of feeling good, physically moving, and kind of getting my my little self-care in and then carrying it on with the day of doing lots of positive things and, and just staying very focused. And dealing with things. 
Yes, exactly. Dealing with things. Um, I love how you you talk about, you know, people, some people think that if you take care of yourself first, that it's selfish. And I really do believe that it's self-care. And on the other side, being the wife of an alcoholic, it was quite frustrating at times to see how he would put himself first and take care of himself first. And I really didn't understand it at the time. Whereas I'm in a different situation now and I'm learning to take care of myself and everyone listening needs to hear that message of the importance of self-care. It's not selfish, it's self-full, filling yourself up. Yes, yes. And you said something important though, because your husband, when he was probably drinking, was selfish. So you viewed his, you know, things that weren't healthy as selfish. So it's funny probably to hear somebody say they're selfish, but in a healthy way, right? Because you might've got that. If it was a healthy thing that he chose to do, you might be like, oh, okay. And learn from that. Yeah, true. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about the the yoga, the trauma-informed yoga, because you talked about, you know, holding on to the trauma in your body, which is something that I, I feel myself, Mm -hmm. shoulders, lower back, neck, it's hips. It's all in there. So we're going to do some work on that. (laughs) We're going to schedule that in, but tell us a little bit more. So people can understand, you know, what does it mean? Trauma-informed yoga. Well, trauma-informed really is, um, I mean, I have a specialization um, on top of that, but trauma-informed just means that really you are, um, it's using words that are inclusive. Um, People are not feeling alone. You know, we're in this together. Uh, Mm -hmm. We are also um, not saying you, like you do this, you do that. There is a sense of oneness when we talk to people in a yoga class and uh, we are a teacher. We're not uh, an instructor. We're, we're telling you what to do. We want you to actually feel like you have permission or um, control again with your own self. And if you have been um, traumatized or have held trauma in your body for a very long time, you haven't connected physically with your body. And so there's some neglect there, right? And the reason you probably haven't is because you don't want to feel and you have to feel the heel. Mm-hmm. And so for me running all that time, I mean, I was like this, right? Every time something happens, you're just like, you can feel your body. And eventually there's a special little muscle called your psoas muscle. When you think about it, it's actually, it's responsible for helping you curl in. It shortens because you've spent all this time. In fact, it really shortens if you never get out of that. And so when you start to do this, trauma yoga or the, the yoga that I teach, we actually release and reset your psoas muscle because it, you really need to dig into that. And then you can't just like let it go. You have to work towards sort of, you know, a little bit at a time working mm-hmm. through that. And that's anything that is pain in your body that's showing up, what people need to realize. I mean, I hear it all the time. Oh, I'm at a shape. Oh, I'm not flexible. Oh, I'm too old. That's why I have a sore this and a sore that. You know, if your body's in pain, legitimately for other, like if you have obviously health issues, your body is speaking to you. It's saying, help me, help me, right? Like stress is, it just sticks in our body. And so somatically, these classes are moving through the body, grounding ourselves and also very slow limbic movements. 
that's how we get the physical part of the trauma out of our bodies. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we can all do the mental and emotional work, but we need to also put that physical together and start to move through the body. And that's where it starts to unwind very slowly. It's it's interesting um, listening to what you're saying, because I, the, when I started yoga, I started with yin yoga Mm -hmm. and I was just drawn to yin because it was slow and, you know, holding the poses for long periods of time. Um, and I found that quite helpful. Um, so it's, yeah, it's interesting to hear you mentioned, you know, doing things slowly, Mm -hmm. which is very hard. It's hard. I'm surprised you liked it because it's hard to slow down because, you're you're like this right it took me a long time to yeah. slow down before I even got on a mat <laughs> this honestly in a process for years really yeah it, it takes yeah. time so it's 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 the slowing down and being still that has I think took me the longest amount of time um and I think that's one of the things that I found challenging about healing is uh, you just you have to be patient Oh, it's lifetime for me. I think it's yes. for the rest of my life. Exactly. It's never going to stop. Exactly. It's never yeah. going to stop. So I'm going to read something from your book, if I might. Sure. And then if we can discuss this, you talk about, I have chosen to have a growth mindset instead of a fixed one, instead of avoiding challenges and hoping that they will go away, I choose to embrace them. And I think there's many of us that when things happen, we sometimes can close our eyes and wish them away or wish that somebody would come along and rescue us. But the only one that's going to rescue you is yourself. Exactly. So would you like- There's that big word, that big word. (laughs) Yeah, there is the big word, fear, Fear. which holds Mm -hmm. a lot of us back. And it's a matter of changing what does fear mean? right? Because when you're fear, when you're fearful, or you're excited, your body reacts the same. So I actually have an acronym for fear, it's feeling excited and ready. So when I fear something, I say go. Because it gets me uncomfortable. And I'm always uncomfortable. And I've made a lot of choices that I was like, "Mm, I don't know, right? It's that, but I should because I know I'll grow from it. And when I've done it, I'm like, Oh, I'm so glad I did that right? Where I would never have felt that 20 years ago, I was just too vulnerable and, and afraid to lose things, right? Afraid to try, afraid to lose, because you're in that mindset of, oh, well, why bother try it? Because it's not going to happen. Or, you know, bad things just happened to me, where I reversed it. And a lot of it, I learned from CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, where you turn negative thoughts into positive thoughts. I spent two years doing that. And that was the biggest lesson that I needed to learn. And I've really been working at that still from like 2012 for 10 years, I've been working at that. And I always just try to look at how, if it's, if it's something that's not good or negative or scared of doing it, why am I scared of it? Like I have to say to myself, why? Cause it's a good thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's where all that kind of comes from because there's a lot of people really stuck. Absolutely. So I take you back to what you said about when you feel that fear, you just say, go. Yeah. So I love that. And that's what I try to do using the Mel Robbins one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. 
And so I give myself that count of five to go because, um, yeah, I, I totally agree. But how, how do you get to that point where you're ready to do that? Because maybe there's a bit of space of time when you're not quite ready for that. Do you, do you think there's a period when you, I guess maybe you just know when you're ready to I, I think you have to be ready, right? Um, you have to, you know, you have to get a, a little bit vulnerable. And, um, you know, did I, did I think I was going to be ready to tell my story? No, like I shut it down for 10 years and I ran away from people who asked me, hey, how you doing? How's your husband? That's like the worst question people could ask me for 10 years after. It's like, or like, oh, you're that house or you're that lady, mm. right? And so I was afraid to even say my name. And so that, but then that changed to being, being proud of myself. I got to a, a time when I was like, no, I'm proud of who I am. And so I started being more open and those little pockets of openness really kind of cracked me a little bit more, a little bit more, because I started to see the value in the, the, the information or the life experiences I was giving people. Mm-hmm. I was seeing how much they could see again, themselves in me and go, wow, if she can do it, I can do it. And then it just, you know, then it kept going, oh, well, I fear this, but guess what happened when I did it the last time, you know, and then you just become fearless. And that's where I wrote my book. And I was like, it's all coming out. And honestly, the moment I pressed that publish button, it felt like 10 pounds came off my shoulders because all the questions I had, asked, I had been asked for years and years and years, I answered in a 400 page book. It became like this whole like, pew, wow, like it's, it's, it's done. It's gone. And uh, so, yeah, I think you have to be ready, but it's baby steps, right? You don't want to, you know, jump at something and then go, Ooh, that was a bad decision, but feel uncomfortable. Be okay with uncomfortable, right? Don't be okay with just staying here and never trying anything. Let yourself get uncomfortable and see the results. See what happens. Absolutely. It's all about moving through the trauma. You got it. Keep moving. Yes. Keep doing. Keep taking action. <laughs> yes. No tap dancing around it. That's what I said. I tap danced around it for many, many years, and then I had to go through it. And that is the toughest part. But when you get to the other side, it's it's amazing. It your, is. Your dog. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't leave my side. He just keeps moving around. Honest to goodness. Oh, he's fabulous. And <laughs> um, so the last question I'm going to ask you, Christine, or not quite the last question. Um, what do you think is the most important thing that you would like people to hear today after hearing your story? Oh, wow. There's so many things I'd like to tell Mm. people, but um, never give up. I think never give up. It does not matter whether you are an addict like I was, or you've lost your home or you have no money. Uh, I struggled with all those areas and I never gave up you know, keep going, you will, you'll get through it. Just, you know, have hope. And, um, and just keep keep walking forward and try not to let things, you know, pull you down. And it's okay to go down, but make sure that you come up stronger. So that's what I think the most important is. Absolutely. I think this is why I was so, so excited for people to hear your story, because of the, the amount of hope that you convey with so many challenges that you've overcome. Um, and many of us have our challenges in private, whereas you had a whole media storm around you to add that layer to everything that you were dealing with. Um, mm-hmm. So many challenges in such uh, 
period, you know, short period of time, really. And look at you now, just a radiant bundle of sunshine <laughs> and energy, you know, to have that much of your energy, you know, I think is just would be amazing. Uh, speaking of, you know, that energy, but also gratitude, right? We haven't even mentioned that word. Being grateful for the things we have instead of the things that we don't have, right? That little switch. We could say, oh my gosh, I don't have a house anymore. But we could say, yeah, but we have a beautiful apartment. Like that's how I can make the switch, right? That just Absolutely. look at what you have, right? Look at what you have. Yeah. Now, speaking of gratitude, I do end every episode with gratitude. <laughs> and I ask my guests, what are three things that you're grateful for right now, Christine? I'm grateful for my health, always. I'm grateful for my family. And I'm grateful for opportunities to share, really share and help people and really feel like there is, um, you know, there's a purpose in my life. That is what I'm grateful for, that I'm able to use my story and, and create and help other people's stories. And that's wonderful. Well, I thank you for being here with us today, sharing your story. I'm super grateful that you're here. I'm grateful that I met you. Out of mm -hmm. all the thousands of people, you know, in, in the community where we met, that we connected. Um, and I know I'm going to do some yoga with you. <laughs> yes, you can. Yep, I'm we'll figure it out. That. So I'm super grateful um, to know you. And thank you for anyone that's listening. I hope that you take away from you the, the, the resilience that Christine shows and how you can have that resilience too by moving through the trauma, little steps, moving through the trauma, go, as Christine says, if you feel the fear, go keep moving forward and don't give up. And if yeah. you can do that, there's no doubt in my mind that you'll be smiling again a lot more often. Yes. Thank you, Christine. Thank you for having me. This has been Smiling Again, hosted by me, Kim Moore. Let's walk this journey together, one thing at a time, taking small steps, little actions every day, which can help you let go and start smiling again. Don't forget... Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. See you next week.